haven't been in the book of Isaiah in a while. I was looking through it, and uh, I saw a little couple verses here in 17 that caught my eye, dug deep into it. Uh, one of the things is if you're not in uh, the book for a while, you have to figure out, okay, what's going on? Where are the different things? So uh, we'll start with a little bit of that uh, intro to kind of get us, uh, get myself and all of us back up to speed of what's going on uh, in both the northern and southern kingdom at this time. Uh, but uh, I, I'm so glad that, you know, even in thinking about how long ago, I said it this morning, you know, you look at different, uh, we were in Jude and this morning and then the Old Testament, even older than that, and think of the thousands of years that have passed, yet it's still true. It's still relevant. And uh, uh, that's what amazes me about God's word, but I'm thankful for it. But Isaiah uh, 17, we're going to look at the first three verses uh, and then look at verses 7 through 10 uh, for tonight. But Isaiah 17, 1, the burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, and it shall be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aror are forsaken, they shall be for flocks which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Uh, the fortress also shall cease from Ephraim, and the kingdom of Damascus, and the remnant of Syria, they shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, saith the Lord of hosts. And we're going to skip to verse 7. And that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel, and he shall not look to the alders the work of his hands neither shall respect that which his fingers have made either the groves or the images in that day shall his strong cities be as a forsaken bough and an uppermost branch which they have left because of the children of Israel and there shall be desolation because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength therefore shall thou plant pleasant plants and it shall and shall set it with strange lips. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, its truth. Lord, we thank you for, uh, uh, Lord, the power behind it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight, Lord, to dig into your word. Lord, help us to understand tonight and to apply it to our lives. Lord, we're thankful for this, again, this opportunity to come before you. Lord, we love you. And in all things we ask in Jesus' name, and amen. amen. So like I said, the, uh, one of the things that you see in the book of Isaiah, you know, he, he's a prophet. Uh, it's a longer book. One of the more famous prophets, the book of Isaiah, is quoted in the New Testament more than any of the other prophets. Uh, but one of the things you see, a theme over and over again, is he is telling God's people they need to trust in God instead of themselves you know that's something over and over again don't trust in yourselves don't trust in your possessions uh, but you need to fear God the true God not not put your fear in the false gods where they uh, will worship them and give to them and everything else and don't fear the heathen nations around you uh, no matter what they do and besiege you and everything else uh, but fear God you know and that uh, is one of the things that we see so in uh, as you get to this section of the book of Isaiah, and I don't remember about when it starts, but maybe around chapter 13, somewhere in there, uh, uh, you know, kind of in that section and onward, uh, it starts to talk about God's judgment against the different nations. So he goes through and he, a judgment with Moab, and then now we're getting to the one uh, with Damascus and Syria, 
these different judgments that are here. Uh, but one of the things, like I said at the beginning, is it helps to get kind of a timeline, a little bit of one of how we got to the point of where we got. Isaiah in the book in the beginning, uh, he takes over. He's a prophet. Uh, he's called after the death of King Uzziah. So King Uzziah uh, of Judah, uh, he dies, and uh, Isaiah has that vision of the Lord on his throne, and that's the famous chapter six. You know who's gonna, uh, who am I gonna send? Who's gonna go? And in verse eight of chapter six, uh, Isaiah says, uh, "I am here. Here am I. Send me." You know, very famous chapter, and it's amazing picture of him seeing God, uh, seeing the Lord on his throne, uh, uh, but. Then Uzziah's son Jotham begins to reign after his death, and he's a good king. You know, it's he's one of those ones, he's a good king, but one of the things you find about in his life, it says this in 2 Chronicles 27.2, Howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people did yet corruptly. And if you remember his father, King Uzziah, at the end of his uh, reign, one of the things that he did, he went to go offer incense himself into the temple before the Lord. Remember, they tried to stop him. You know, they tried to prevent him from doing that. And he got angry and he was going to do it. And then immediately he became leprous got thrown out. Remember, that's Uzziah. His son begins to reign. And now we see, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, you see what happens. He's not going to go in the temple at all. And that's the sad thing, right? You've got his father sinned against God. He, he, he never should have been in there because he was trying to act like both a king and a priest. And that's not going to work, right? That, uh, the, Jesus Christ is the only prophet, priest, and king. He was not called to be a priest, and he's trying to act like one. And, and, and even when they confronted him, instead of repenting, he got angry and wanted to do it anyway. Uh, so now his son doesn't want anything to do with the temple. And it affected the people. And that was just another little reminder that I was thinking of myself that, you know, some of the decisions that we make uh, can affect not just us, uh, but they'll affect our children. And this, he, because he was a king, affected the whole realm. You know, they were all, it was saying they were all doing corruptly because as the leader, if the leader's going to be good, but forsake worship in the temple, that's a problem. Right. That's just someone who's got some good moral values, but does not uh, want to follow God. That's a problem. He was afraid. Uh, so it affected the next generation. So after Jotham, then we have Jotham's son, Ahaz, and Ahaz was a wicked king. He worshipped idols. He offered his son to pass through the fire in the valley of Hinnom, uh, offered him as a, as a living fire sacrifice. Uh, and then so uh, during this time, this is Judah, these kings that we're talking about, Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, start to fight against Judah, the southern kingdom. So Israel gets in a league with Syria and starts to fight Judah. Uh, Syria is defeated by Assyria, and this is what it gets me confused a lot. Uh, but what happened was, remember, Ahaz went. He didn't. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about worshiping the right way. So he takes the gold and the silver out of the house of God, pays the king of Assyria to fight the king of Syria and Israel, and he does. So Assyria defeats Syria. Hopefully, I'm keeping that straight. But uh, Assyria is the one that defeats them. And then Ahaz goes to Damascus, used to be Syria-Damascus, now it's Assyria-Damascus. 
He sees an altar to a foreign god, to a false god, and he says, I want that altar copied. And they build him a copy of the altar in front of the house of God. Between the real altar and the house of God, he has that built one built right in the middle in between. He said it looks good, and basically he was saying, you know what, uh, they helped him, so they're, well, I'll read it. Second Chronicles 28, 23, uh, well, 22 says, And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz, for he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him, and he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them, and they may help me. But they were a ruin of him and, all, and of all Israel. So we see again, you've got a good king, uh, Uzziah. He was a real good king until the very end when he made that sin. Then his son was a good king but didn't worship. Then we get Ahaz as a wicked king. So we see that progression uh, that's going in that direction. And that, unfortunately, that happens a lot. When they, uh, If you decide you're going to be a, a, a good person but you're going to drop Jesus Christ, it's going to affect those around you. So now we get to... Isaiah tells, uh, one of the things he says in an earlier chapter, I can't remember if it's about chapter 8, he talks about Judah's judgment is coming soon, and then in chapter 10, Assyria's judgment, uh, and then we get to chapter 17, and it's talking about Syria and Damascus. So one of the things to, to really look at is here at the beginning, the burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city it shall be a ruinous heap. And you think about that language. It's saying that Damascus is not going to exist anymore as a city. It will be a rubble heap. It's not going to be rebuilt. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be done, taken away from even being a city. I mean, that, that strong language that the Bible is talking about. Well, what if I told you this? You know, there's a lot of old cities in the world Right? There's a lot of old cities, but a lot of old cities that we're familiar with stood for a while, didn't stand, and then maybe were rebuilt. Like Jericho is a good example of that. Stood for a long time, fell, was later rebuilt. So you can't say Jericho was continuous. It had some breaks there. What if I told you Damascus, they're say, they say, now sometimes they argue because you're kind of saying what's the oldest city. But after the Tower of Babel, there were, you know, the 70 families went out. They started these different nations. Damascus is one of the cities that was started and it has been continuously inhabited ever since. Now it's changed hands, but it has never been completely eliminated and then rebuilt again. That's never happened. It's the oldest continually inhabited city on earth. So if the Bible says in verse 1 of 17, the burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city. It shall be a ruinous heap. You've got two things. Either number one, God was wrong, right? Or you got to soften the language and say, well, God didn't really mean it was going to be a heap and then done. Maybe it'd be bombed a little bit or something like that, or a civil war would kind of tear it up. But no, I, when I read the Bible, it's pretty clear. It says it's going to be gone. So it just tells me it hasn't happened yet. Amen? Amen. 
And as it happens, you know, some people, they, they try to twist and turn and everything else, or they'll just say uh, the Bible's wrong. See, Isaiah's writing a whole lot of things, and they say that uh, one of the big things about Isaiah is that there's no way he could have written this stuff before it happened. Well, they look at this one and say, well, he must have been wrong. I say, no, it's God. God gave it to him. It's going to happen. The, most, the continuously inhabited city is going to be a ruin heap. And I don't think it's an accident that God picked this one and say, hey, I'm going to make sure it's gone. You know what it tells me? If God says I'm going to level it, no man's going to completely level it and it be gone. It's just going to keep getting rebuilt, right? They'll rebuild things. They'll, they'll, they'll do things after that. It's taken away from being a city. And you realize the nation of Israel today and Syria, the country of Syria that Damascus is the capital of, they have been fighting ever since Israel became a nation. They've been continuously fighting each other. In fact, I was looking as I was Googling some things, even tonight, uh, a little bit of research there, uh, I was looking at it, and in the news, uh, Israel bombed the Damascus airport hours ago. And blew up a runway and made it so where they can't uh, fly in and out right now. And the reason is, is Iran is flying in weapons and everything else to attack Israel with. So they take it out. And this has been an ongoing thing. They'll rebuild it. They'll take it out. The fighting has never stopped. And it's the capital, but it's never been completely destroyed. It's been invaded, right? Uh, the The... Ownership or whatever you want to call it has changed hands one empire to another one king to another one nation to another uh, But it's it's always been inhabited the entire time And I believe it'll be inhabited until Jesus Christ returns And he turns it into a rubble heap And see this this is what they'll say. Well, it must be some natural disaster, right? It must be some kind of earthquake or something like that. No, it's the Lord It's the Lord Cities are forsaken. In fact, you look at verse 2, he's talking about they're just pretty much wild animals. Nobody's going to make them afraid. They're going to they're be the only ones left. And then we flip over to verse 7. This is the other part that I, I skipped over to. And at that day shall a man look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. We see what verse 7 is. It's a wake-up call. Right? It is, it is men that are looking up and that maker is capitalized. That's the Lord. That's the creator, God. Uh, that's the one, same as the Holy One of Israel. It's in names for Jesus Christ. This is uh, the one they will finally look up. Right? Today they curse God. Right? Today uh, they're angry with God. And some in that day will continue to curse God. But there will be some that will look up. And realize, and it says, look, it'll say, uh, it says they shall look to his maker. If it's calling him his maker, that person is realizing I'm created and that's my creator. That's far from where this world is today. Amen. There, we've created ourselves, right? We've evolved ourselves. That's what this world says today. But one day, man will look at, there will be men that will look up and finally have respect for God. They'll finally fear God for real. And I believe, as you can see in the tribulation, there will be a large group that will turn to the Lord in those days. Uh, but 
only the ones that don't die in some of the judgments or, or disasters or anything like that. And it'll be like a time like no other. You know, I told people don't, you know, some of those I used to hear uh, over the years, I'm just going to wait till the tribulation and then I'm going to turn to Jesus. Well, a lot of the ones that turn to the Lord in the tribulation, they lose their head. They die for the Lord. Yeah. Amen. I, I mean, if you're not going to come give your heart to the Lord voluntarily now where you're not losing your head, how are you going to do it then? In fact, and then add in a strong delusion on top of all that. There will be some. And then I think about a lot in today's society. My goodness, they're stressed out about everything, right? If they don't have a, a safe room or a safe word or a safe this or that, I'm thinking, my there's nothing's going to be safe in the tribulation. Amen? Nothing. But aren't you glad that there will be some that will look to the Holy One of Israel? You know what that also tells me? Not only do they realize that they have a creator and that they're created and that that's God and that's the power of God, but they're going to also look to Israel and say, wait a second, Damascus is leveled, right? It's gone. It's not even a city anymore, but Israel's still there. Yeah. Jerusalem's still there. Amen? Because the, Holy, the same one that created, the same one that judged, is the same one that protects Israel. They're going to look to the Holy One of Israel. That's Jesus Christ. They're going to look to the Redeemer, to Christ, and turn to Him. You know what I like? Look at verse 8. And he shall not look to the altars, the work of his hands. Neither shall respect that which his fingers have made, either the groves or the images. And I thought, my goodness, this isn't just a turning because uh, they're a little bit worried. This isn't a turning just momentarily. This isn't a, a, a turning of uh, praying the right prayer or something like this. This is a complete and utter repentance turning, saying, you know what? Uh, uh, I have these things. Uh, uh, I used to worship at this altar. I used to have this religion. I used to do this ritual. And they're going to drop all of that. They're going to drop not only the religion, they're going to drop the works of their hands. And you think about, my goodness, think about today. Men and women spend their life, to, decades, their lifetimes working up things, creating things, building, uh, you know, their oasis or whatever, the right house, this, their property, all these different things, their career, all these. They're going to drop those things and say, you know what, uh, it, it's all nothing compared to the Holy One of Israel. Right? I don't need these things. Right? These, these things are, uh, they have uh, blinded me for all this time. And then suddenly they're going to see, wait a second, there's a real God. Right? I don't need the false altars. I don't need the false images. I don't need the, uh, uh, the gods that they've created and everything else. I need the God. And I thought, my goodness, can you imagine the change that's happening in verse 8? And then I thought, you know what? I want that to happen with the lost today. I want them to realize that they are created and that they're created by the Lord and that he, they're, they've sinned against the Lord, but the Lord died for their sins. And I want them to get to a point, and I think this is what a lot of them is going to take 
to where they're looking at the different, and we think about literal altars like they had high places and groves and everything like that. We don't have as much of that now, but we have different altars today, right? Altars, uh, uh, some sports stadiums can be altars, uh, uh, workplaces can be altars and idols and everything else and the work of their hands. My goodness, I thought of all the different things that people worship. They trust in their possessions. They respect in all the, their careers and in the fruits of their labors and the businesses that they've created. And can you just imagine uh, that wake-up call that they realize uh, I, uh, before this time, I want them to be woken up by the Holy Spirit and to realize that, hey, uh, yes, I can pour my whole life and existence into these things, but in the end, uh, you will have no respect in them. Even if the business continues and grows to be, you know, a million times bigger than what the founder created, the founder's going to die and stand before Jesus Christ. And I just pray on this life, they realize where the order lies. In this life, they realize we need to fear God and not fear these other things. Respect God and not these other things. Anything that we can make with our hands or our fingers is temporary and unsatisfying. Yes, we need to work. Yes, we need to do these things. But look at the priority. They're realizing, they're looking up and saying, you know what? All this time I've wasted, right? All this time in Damascus I wasted. All these, you know, it, you can look at the fall of Babylon that's described as well. And you can see all the fall of all the merchant stuff, all of the sales, the commerce, the retail. All these things are going to fail and fall as well. And they're going to look up crying. Where did it go? This was my whole life. And now it's gone. My prayer is people get woken up before that moment. That's what our prayer is. Praying the Holy Spirit takes away the satisfaction of this world. Not necessarily the things of this world taken away, but taken away the satisfaction. The Bible says there's joy in sin for a season, and we just want that season to be shorter. Amen. Take it away. But then look at verse 10. See, it's easy to look at 7, 8, 9, then you get to 10. Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength. And I thought now he's flipping because in this chapter he talks to not only Syria, Damascus, but he talks to Judah as well. We didn't read all of those verses, but he's talking to both of them. And now he's talking to Judah. He's saying, hey, judgment is coming. Judgment was coming to Judah. Why? Because they'd forgotten God. And that shouldn't be a surprise. We saw this in Judges, right? You see it in, with the kings. You see it over and over again. Uh, you know, it started in the Judges where uh, they would be, it would be a time of prosperity, a time of blessing. They would forget God. They would start to put in the idols and the, and, and the culture and everything else and the lifestyle, the heathen people around them. And then God would send a wake-up call. He would send uh, some army or some nation against them. Uh, they might carry some of them away. They might besiege them. They might 
whatever they do, but that wake-up call, then they finally remember the Lord, they fear the Lord, uh, they realize their idols can't help them anymore, they realize all the things of their hands can't help them, then they turn and repent, call on the Lord, the Lord would send a judge or deliverer in the judge's time, or the Lord would uh, do other things in the time of the kings, but the, the result was the same. He would get rid of the enemy, he would free them, and they'd start the cycle over again. Well, he's telling him, hey, judgment's coming to Judah because you're forgetting me again. And you should know this by now. This is the pattern that I've set forth. But then I'm wondering, how many times have we fallen into this pattern? Forgetting the Lord in times of prosperity. Forgetting the Lord in times of busyness. Forgetting the Lord uh, for just different reasons. We can't fall into the same trap. He judged them multiple times. And he would... Basically, what God would do is in those times, he would just kind of lift his hand of protection a little bit. And any time he would do that, there's plenty of enemies around Israel. You know, he could do that with us, too. There's, we got enemies all around, too. Yeah. Lift the hand of protection. The enemy would prevail. They would remember the Lord. Uh, you know, the idols would be powerless and useless uh, their valuables would be taken as spoils they'd go into captivity and then God uh, uh, eventually they would cry out to God sometimes it took a short amount of time sometimes it took a long time in captivity for them to remember and to cry out to the Lord but one of the other things that God not only did God would God do this with Israel but every nation he ever used to judge Israel God would also judge that nation as well nobody's escaping judgment and that's why he's in this section of Isaiah. He's talking to Moab. He's talking to Assyria. He's talking to Syria. Uh, he's talking to all of them. Babylon, he'll deal with all of them because he's saying, hey, you're going to be judged as well. And for Damascus, yes, it changed hands and, and different things like that. But one day it's going to be gone. That's what the Bible tells us. And at that time, Damascus will cease to be a city and Jerusalem will be the capital of the world, the whole earth. But here's the thing. I'm glad that men don't need to wait until that day to look to their maker. Yeah. Yeah. They can look to their maker today. Amen. That's what we need to tell people over and over again. I, uh, the message this morning, the, the crux of it is I was saying, you know what? One of the things I've noticed, I've looked out into this world and sometimes it aggravates me. I get angry, I complain, and everything else. But I realized in the, in the book of Jude, the world's job is to be mockers and complainers, not my job, not our job. And I, th and I realized that the world's going to be wicked. The Bible says it will. The world's going to increase in wickedness because the Bible says it will. But what do we do? Yeah. Right? Sinners are going to live sinfully. But Christians need to live righteously, biblically, led by faith, Amen. no matter what goes on. Because what we need to do, and only God can do this, but if we can play a small part in his plan to help people get to verse 7 before that day, we need to tell them about Jesus Christ. And as the church, I don't want to be verse 10. I don't want to be a group that God says, because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation. Never.